talking with you. <laughs> One hour instead but, uh, of four. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting, especially the song that you sang in, in the scripture that Kayla was reading and stuff yeah. about uh, going through the valley of the shadow of death because um, that's what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, Christianity, we're, we're called to die. Paul said, I die daily, yeah. and Jesus told us to be his followers, we're to take up our cross daily. Amen. Uh, John the Baptist said, I must decrease, but he must increase. Yes, and so, whereas we, I think sometimes we get the false impression that Christianity is a religion of life, it is, but in a lot of senses, it's, it's a religion of death, because there cannot be that life until there's that death. <laughs> yeah. And we get the impression a lot of times that that's a one-time thing. You you come to the Lord and you do your big repentance and sinner's prayer and you know and stuff and and we die and that's it. But the longer that you're a Christian, the more you realize this is not a one-time thing at all. Amen. And it's something <laughs> that happens in our lives in a continuous way. And the thing is, but there's rejoicing in that because it is all through the Father's hands. And it, it is all for purpose. It is not for no purpose that we go through these things. We go through these things supervised by God. And He allows us to experience trials. He allows us to experience sufferings and um you know, God in his wisdom has practical ways of, of causing us to to live this way. And, you know, it, it goes by many names. It's called the valley or uh, the shadow of death. It's called the desert. It's called the dark night of the soul. And if, you know, I heard someone say, you're, you're either in that place of trial, you're coming out of that place of trial, or you're fixing to go into that place of trial. <laughs> And it, it, right, and the thing is, is that is our Christian experience, and the problem is, is we've been taught so much over and over and over. God wants to bless you. He wants to make you happy. He wants to. God is not so interested in our happiness, and you can go to church after church, and that's their whole theme. That's their whole message. You go to church, and the the from the pulpit, the guy's like, "God's not mad at you. God he wants to make you happy. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you everything that your soul desires and stuff." But God, more than anything, wants Himself to be birthed in us. And the only way that that can happen is by going through these desert places, through these wildernesses, through these waste places and stuff. Um, Jesus, as soon as he was baptized in Matthew 4, it says the, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Right? And the thing is, is any, any man or woman of God has been through that desert place. Um, Moses, when he escaped from Pharaoh, he went into the wilderness and he met God in that place. That's where Moses met God in the burning bush, right? And the thing is, is we think that we're going to meet God by going to church. We think that we're going to meet God by these, these mountain highs and these, these high places where we, these places of worship and these places where God is blessing us and he's giving us everything that we need. We meet God in the desert. We meet God in the hard places because everything else is just theoretical religion. It's the stuff that we've been taught. It's, it's things that, you know, people of Jesus loves me, this I know, and all this stuff. But it becomes reality when we're in those tough places where there's no one to rescue us but God alone. And God purposely brings us through those places. David met Goliath in the Valley of Elah. Elijah spent tons of time in the wilderness. Jesus would many times go away from the crowds, go away from the disciples, and spend time alone with God in that wilderness place. And so God calls us away from the noise. God, And these things that come into our lives, these are meant by God to separate us 
from the things. He's calling us to come away and to be with him. To come away from the noise because there's so many, all of us, we have so many voices pulling us this way, pulling us that way, telling us to do this, telling us to do that, wanting us to do things, right? You, if you're going to serve God, you need to do this. If you're going to follow God, you need to do this. You need to be involved. You need to get in, in all these voices and all these things. And we need to come away where God is and just spend time with him. And the thing is, is the wilderness is also a test. It's where the people in the, uh, the, the people, the children of Israel fell because they, they kept, they all, they kept grumbling. They quit. They kept complaining. And I mean, if you're like me, God puts me in these places. I'm like, God, why are you putting me in this place? And you're like, exactly. (laughs) And the thing is, is we don't realize it's his grace and his mercy that he puts us in these places because we can't truly know him until we pass through these scorching deserts, this hot wilderness. I remember when I was in the Marines one time, we, we used to, we used to go and do desert exercises in a place called 29 Palms and it is desert. It's nothing but snakes and lizards and cactuses and, and nothing else. No Rocks and sand. Huh? There's no palm trees? No. So it's a, it's it a misnomer. Palms? I don't know why they call it Maybe that. The cats it's a lie. Palms. It's a lie. <laughs> but anyhow, so I think there were 29 palm trees at one point. I'm not sure. But anyway, so they 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 put me on guard duty right and and our whole entire unit was going to move um to a different location and they left me here and they said this other group is going to come and they're going to meet you and they're going to pick you up and and take you where we're at and you have to be there and you have to direct them and stuff they left me there for hours I and and it it became dark it became nightfall and I'm telling you it's like 11 o'clock at night and I am in this wilderness all by myself, and it's dark. Like for reals? For reals. There's nothing around for miles, and I'm when? like, and I'm when I was in the Marines, and I'm oh, like, yeah. did they leave me here? Am I gonna get eaten by a wolf? <laughs> it, what, you know, and I, I and I'm like, I was kind of a little nervous. Yeah, I, yeah. I I'm afraid because the thing is, is when you're in the vast emptiness, it's just you and your thoughts. And what's inside of you and stuff. And and so what's inside of you begins to come out. And I'm like, man, these people have left me here. They And, and really, I mean, it's like there's, I, I, I was seriously starting to think that they left me there. And, and then finally someone came and they came in a truck and picked me up. And But just the vastness of the desert. It's vast and it's, it it's gives you a, an opportunity. It's dark. And the thing is, is when Jesus came, when, when Satan came and tempted Jesus in the wilderness, I picture it in my mind as being that kind of place where it's dark. There's nothing around for miles. There's no one to help you. There's no one to assist you. You are on your own. And I think that it was in that place. And this was also after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and nights. So he's in this place of complete aloneness, complete silence, complete, you know, and, and his mind has to be racing and, and stuff, and, and he's, he's weak because of lack of food and stuff, and it's at this point where the devil comes to him yeah. and begins to tempt him. And that's what happens to us. The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. Well, he's not only the accuser of the brethren, he is the one who, who he is the discourager of the brethren, right? And if you look at the word discourage, what it means is to take courage from. And that's what Satan tries to do when we're in these desert places. He tries to take that courage from you so you don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You're scared to take that next step. You're scared to do this. What if I do this and I fall? What if this happens to me? What if, what if a wolf comes and eats me, right? And so Satan is the discourager of the brethren. And that's what he wants to do because, again, God, Satan comes to steal kill and destroy right and as i was saying earlier that in that desert place you are being tested 
by God to see whether you're going to rely on him or whether you're going to give in to your fears, whether we're going to give in to our unbelief, right? And we look at the people of Israel and we're like, God, man, God was hard on those people. But think about it. He gave them 40 years, right? He gave them 40 years because he wanted them to see, to wake up and to understand. And sometimes I look at the rock that I just passed last week and I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm still in the desert. I still have not passed that test. And it's like, is God going to cast me off? Is God going to finally get tired of me? And, and you know, but God put up with him for 40 years. Why did he put up with him for 40 years? Because he wanted their eyes to be opened and for them to come to that realization, right? It's just when Abraham, like when Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah, Lord, what if there's 50 righteous people there? God had already made up his mind that he was going to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham says, well, Lord, what if there's 50 righteous? God says, okay, if there's 50 righteous, I won't do it. What if there's 40 righteous? If there's 40 righteous, I won't do it. And so this is the mercy of God, right? What happened when, when Jonah went into Nineveh? He, he didn't, he's like, 40 days, God is going to wipe this place out. The people of Nineveh repented, right? And God forgave them. And God changed his mind and stuff. And so we have to understand that God truly wants to change each one of us. It's true that God accepts us just as we are, but God has in mind a goal for each one of us. He wants to perfect us. He wants to bring us into the place of maturity mm -hmm. because God cannot trust himself with us if we're immature, right? God has, God has, God wants to touch this earth and he wants to touch it through me and he wants to touch it through you, but he cannot do that if we're immature. Because what does an immature uh, child do? You give him the keys to his car, what happens? He goes and he burns the rubber off the tires. And he's grumpy. It, exactly. <laughs> and he's immature. And, and and, and the thing is, is that's the way we all are when we come to Jesus, right? We're immature and stuff. And I look at my life and I've been a Christian for so long and I'm still so immature. And I'm like, God, when is this going to change? He's like, that's why you're where you're at. Because I'm trying to change you. I'm the desert is a place of refining. And gold has to be, it has to be refined. And the dross has to be uh, skimmed off the top of it before it can be pure. And so this, when we come to Christianity, again, it's not this just ask Jesus into your heart and it's all been done and it's all over with and we are going to trials. First Peter says, do, in First Peter it says, do not be surprised. It's a fiery trial. And every time a trial comes, we're surprised. <laughs> we're like, well, what's happening? And it's God's way of making us into what he has called us to be. The thing is, is we don't view ourselves like God sees us. God sees us as a perfect instrument in his hand, right? And the, there's a scripture that says, don't be like a mule that needs a bit and a bridle in its mouth to get it to go where you want it to be. And that's the way we are, right? God's wanting us just to go in this direction. We're like, no, no, I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. And the thing is that we fail to realize is that we can't, we can't grasp is that God's ways are so much better than ours. And he has so much better things in store for us if we will simply obey him, if we will simply walk in his way. In Psalm 23, I already had planned to read that. Awesome, Kayla. Wow. Oh, question. Yes. Was Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days as a reflection of the Israelites being in the wilderness for 40 years? Yes. And the thing is, is, is how they failed to pass a test in 40 years he passed it in 40 days. Dang! Not only that, not only that, but they failed the test in a position of power. In other words, God fed them, right? Yeah. He fed them from heaven. Yeah. It says their, their, their shoes, their clothing did not wear out. 
They had everything they needed. Every time they needed water, he would bring them to water, right? So they failed the test in a position, in a place of strength in 40 years, whereas Jesus passed it in 40 days in a position of weakness. Interesting thing that kind of comes out of there, like, just I don't know if it, how important it is to it, but like, you know, the Israelites had manna, like, right on a regular basis, and then mm. Satan tempted Jesus with, with bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, we, you know, that's why, you know, he says, don't be concerned with what you're to eat, with what you're to clothe yourselves. He says the Gentiles chase after these things. And we as believers, and especially as we're starting to get older and we're starting to think about, well, well I'd like to retire at mm-hmm. some point, but I can't afford to. But it's like God cares so much more about us than he cares about the lilies of the valleys, right? He says, look at the fields, how uh, the lily of the valleys, how they clothe themselves. It says Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like any of these. And we so much, and this is the root of it, isn't it? The root of it is, is that we don't trust God's love. We don't realize, we don't understand how much he loves us. Now, and again, this is not a love as in uh, like a doting grandfather that gives, buys his grandchildren anything that they want and gives them candy and gives them whatever they want. That's not what it is at all. Again, in the biblical sense, God is raising up sons and daughters to at one point lead the household. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. God wants... And it's all over the New Testament. It talks about people who are slaves. Slaves are not part of the house, but children are, right? And it talks about how God is, and at some point we'd like to teach on that, but how God has brought us into his inheritance and he has made us sons and daughters. So we're not any longer slaves and we're we're not stepchildren either. God has brought us into full inheritance. Well, what was the purpose of full inheritance? The purpose of full inheritance is that so that you may lead the household. You can, God can entrust things to us yes. and say, this is something very precious to my heart. I want to share this with you. And in turn, I want you to share this with others. What we often fall into is we, especially as uh spirit-filled Christians as we cry out more God we want more give us more give us more give us more power give us more power but with great what is it with great power comes great responsibility it's like he he, if we if we're asking for it and we're sincere then we're going to go through fire to get it yeah so so it's not just like he's going to just disseminate it just like willy-nilly it's like, oh, you want more? Okay, well, I have to make sure that you're ready for it, so I'm going to have yeah. to take you through some trials first. Yeah, yeah. being faithful in the unrighteous mammon and things yeah. <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and the thing yeah. is, is God wants this more than we could possibly want it. You know, but God wants us to want it for His purposes Amen. and not for our glory. Amen. He wants us to want it to glorify Him in that, you know, he wants to, as a father, give us, give stuff to, give things to us, and we in return give them back to him, right? We don't, you know, it's a father that gives money to his son, but the son doesn't go and blow it on, spend his, waste his inheritance on, on prostitutes and riotous living, but it's the son who, who manages his father's goods, who, who manages his father's, who, who the father can trust, and, and this is the purpose. This is where the Father is leading us. In Psalm 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. So, again, we need to renew our minds. God is our shepherd. He cares for us as a shepherd cares for, our, for his sheep. He's got every hair of our head numbered. He knows us intimately and more than we even know ourselves. And his purpose is to bring us into that place of fellowship where we can know him like he knows us. I mean, over and over, people say, I want to be a man after God's own heart like David. And the thing is, the, the fact of the matter is, and God has been speaking this so much to me because I fail at it so much. But these people spent time with God. Right? 
And it wasn't just a religious thing. I got to spend my hour, my my devotions with God. I have to spend an hour in his word. I have to spend 30 minutes. In, it wasn't anything like that. It was people who spent so much time with God that he rubbed off on them. I mean, again, it's the it's the the picture of like you know you see two friends together and how I it's like you see like say for instance a people a person that used to live in Texas and they moved to like somewhere up north and then they start talking like that but they come back to Texas and immediately they start talking Texan again <laughs> right y'all this and we're fixing to do this and. <laughs> but and even like friends where where they the, where they hang out together so much they start to act like each other and that's the whole thing is that we spend so much time with God not because we have to not because it's a religious thing that I want I got to do or any, it's like I want to be like him I want to know him I want what he's got to rub off on me, not so that I can glorify myself, not so that someone can say, "Whoa, look at this person." Woo but so that we can bear his nature and his character. In Acts, it talks about how the people uh, knew God's ways, but Moses knew God. And so much of Christianity today, so much of religion today, is people we know about God. And I'm sick. I'm tired of knowing about God. I want to know God. I don't want to know about him. Amen. And we have, we have more information, I think, than any church age has had before. We've got so many books. We've got videos. We've got teachings. We've got all kinds of stuff. And we know so much more about God than, than generations before us or third world countries or things of that nature. But do we know God? Has he rubbed off on us? And again, we have to change our mindsets to know that he wants that more than we do. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And <laughs> I don't know, like Google it sometime. Look, look, um, look up uh, shepherd fields in Bethlehem. It's not what you think of. It's not like our lawns here that are plush and green and stuff like that. It's rocks. desert. It's yeah. rocks. It's it's hard and there's there's grass yeah. springing up here and there, but it's, it is no in no sense lush no. like we yeah. think of. Yeah. So when he says uh, he leads me, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. These are rocky, barren places, but the Lord, the Shepherd, knows what's good for His sheep. And he leads them to those places. And we're not going to get this easy life. And if we do, sometimes you have to question it and say, am I on the right track? Sometimes if I'm, if, when things are going smoothly for us, when we have everything that we want, we need to assess and say, are we in the right place? Because God has not promised us. And the thing is, the Bible talks about um, how Abraham longed for a city. And he longed for these things. And he never received them. Now, in a sense, we have received everything that the Lord has for us in Christianity. But at the same time, it's like I've tried to keep a walking stick by my front door to remind myself always that we are pilgrims and strangers on this earth. This world is not our home. It never will be our home. We are strangers and aliens. We go to work and people look at us like we're crazy and then we are, our feelings get hurt. Oh my gosh, how can they do that? It's because we're strangers and aliens. We are aliens, literally, like we're from a different planet. Mm -hmm. But that's the way it's supposed to be. We, don't, we aren't made to be so comfortable with this life. We're not made to... In, in, to be so comfortable with people and, and things. And I'm not saying be weird or, or, you know, out of place on purpose or anything like that. But we are different because we have the life of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And we live in a world that's lost 
without God, without hope, and they're not even seeking for God. They have no desire for God. They have no desire to seek him. And so the, the Bible talks about, and I think it's in Peter, how, how people are amazed that you don't want to go and, and, and live the lives of, of sin that they live. It says, he leads me, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. And again, the Lord has really been putting Psalm 46, 10 on my heart. And I think someone mentioned it tonight. Be still and know that I'm God. We get caught up in so many winds, so many voices, so much noise. There is so much noise. We've got to pull ourselves away. We've get, when, whenever you're facing that, whenever you're facing these times of, of just trouble and trial and temptation, it's like, oh, everything is just raining boulders on your head. Come away. Find a place to come and spend in the presence of God, where it's just you and him. And it's difficult. It's hard. You have to cultivate that. It's, uh, believe me, I know how hard it is just to sit in silence before God. Mm -hmm. Just to shut out all the noise. It's, we, we are in a, 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 a society. Generation. Like, uh, when I'm at work, these guys are blasting. I work in a tire shop where things can be dangerous if you can't hear properly. And these people are blasting the music and it's like someone's saying something to me. I can't even hear what he's saying. And, and the thing is, is we, that is our world. The world that we live in is so filled with noises. And I'm telling you, it is from the devil. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he does specific things or whatever, but it, I think that again, all this, all the options that we have, mm -hmm. the computer stuff, all the TV, the, all the, the radio and stuff, Spotify. all the option, options that we have for noise. And it can be even religious right, noise. Right. Sometimes I'll be watching like preaching stuff on YouTube and stuff and I can feel God speaking to me, come away, come away. And it's like, no, but I got to watch this teaching. <laughs> and God's like, no, come to me, you know, and we accept substitutions rather than going to the streams of life, rather than going to the well and letting him water us. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. And again, we have to understand that this walk of Christianity is a continual death, a continual dying. But just like Jesus was with the three Hebrew children in the fires, he's with us. And he walks with us through these things. Mm -hmm. And we feel so alone sometimes. But again, it's because we don't shut off the voices, right? Mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't stop the other things and, and just quiet our minds, quiet our hearts before God and say, Lord, I need you in this moment mm -hmm. to speak to me. Mm -hmm. Said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How awesome is the picture of that? No matter what hell is coming against us, no matter what comes into our lives, what's what's destroying us, if we can take that time to just get, man, I've experienced it so much where you just shut out all that stuff and just get in the presence of God and he begins to feed your spirit, all right? And those things lose their importance because isn't that what we do? We make things so much more important than they actually are. We blow them up in our minds and things. It says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The beauty of it is, is in their times, the house of the Lord was a place that they went to. I mean, even every Sunday morning, you're, you, you're like, you go to this building and they're like, welcome to the house of the Lord. 
You know, the beautiful thing is, is you don't have to go anywhere. Right? I know, like we are the house of the Lord. We are the house of the Lord. And if I shut out everything, I can enter into the Holy of Holies. Now imagine yourself going, if you're the priest in Israel, the high priest, and you're entering into the Holy of Holies, there's no noise. It's all still. And it's just the presence of God. Amen? Amen. That's yeah. awesome. Praise God. Go ahead. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed, and he broke it. He broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, "Take, eat. This is my body." And he took the cup, and when he had, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said, "This is my blood of the new testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say to you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it and drink it." <coughs> in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And, uh, yeah, Lord, I, I just pray that you would drink new things with us, Lord, uh, today. And, um, that as we, as we drink, you know, the, the wine and the take of the bread, Lord, that not, o- not only would we remember you, Lord, but, but we would be with you over the ages, just partaking new with you, Lord, that you would you would be partaking with new people that love you and um, that are so thankful for you and that you would be blessed, Lord, with yes. us as we eat and drink this in remembrance of you, that It'd be it be new for you too, Lord. Um, I hope that makes sense, <laughs> Jesus. But uh, we love you and we thank you and yes. thank you for giving us things to remember you by. That's not like whipping ourselves and stuff. It's actually actually taking something to eat and drink and and to sit and eat with you um, in remembrance. So thank you, Lord. Um, so, so many times in the New Testament, we read things and we don't understand them because we don't realize that there's a basis for, for what is happening in the Old Testament. And we, we always take communion and it's generally speaking in most of our churches, it's just this quick thing, you know, Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, you know, and stuff, and we just... Take, eat the eat the bread, drink the juice, and things like that. And it has no significance for us, and we don't really realize what's happening. And uh, so, I've wanted to do a teaching on this because communion is something that I think that we as believers should really understand. And I don't think that it's something that I think that we should really. Um, um, under, we should know what it is and we should understand it in its significance because this was something that was very significant to Jesus. He did this on his very last night with his disciples and he knew it was his last time with them. And he said, I've been longing to do this with you. And so it was something that he did right before he was was going to go to the cross and he wanted them to understand it. And I think that we in the church just like so many other things, it becomes tradition, it becomes rote, and we lose the meaning of it, and we lose the the realness of it, and we lose the preciousness of it. And so I just wanted to go back in Genesis chapter 12, because Genesis chapter 12 is the heart of communion. It's the beginning, it's the foundation of communion. And if we, if we don't understand Genesis chapter 12, or I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 12, we don't really understand what communion is about. And in Exodus 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, 
This month will be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. So this is the very first Passover. This is where God has done all those miracles to bring them out of Egypt. And for God to get them out of Egypt, it wasn't a simple thing. I don't know if you remember when you became a Christian, but for me, for God to get my attention, for me to finally submit to him and say, God, I will submit to you. I'm tired of fighting against you. I will bend my will to your will. It took a lot. Um, it, you know, there, I, I loved my life. I loved living the life that I was, well, it was a love-hate relationship <laughs> because there was a part of I hated it, honestly. I, I was sick of it. I was sick of taking drugs. I was sick of getting drunk. I was sick of chasing sex, whatever, and stuff. But I wasn't ready to concede to God. And the thing is, is you know, God kept bringing all these unrelated people into my life to share Jesus with me and things. And, and I kept resisting it and I kept fighting against it. So in the same way, it happens, I think, in most of our lives. God brings us through this process and he's trying to get our attention and he's trying to fight against these things, just like with, the, with Pharaoh. And God, when God was leading the children out of Israel, it took a lot. Right. I mean, and Satan is not just going to let any of us go. Satan's not going to go, well, I didn't like this person anyway. You can have him. <laughs> Satan fights for each one of us tooth and nail. And that's why every time you see someone starting to get interested in the things of God, immediately something comes against their lives and stuff. And so, so again, this is God bringing them out of Egypt. This is their first Passover. In verse 3, he says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households. A lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Now we all know that the Lamb is Jesus, right? He's the Lamb that Lamb that, of God that takes away the sins of the world. He says, um, Look at this in verse 8. He says, They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but ra rather roasted with fire, both its head, listen to this, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, and whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. So, I don't know about you, but for a long time, I'm like, what does that mean to eat all of it? I mean, that means to eat the brains. That means the the eyeballs. That means to eat all the gross stuff, right? To eat, you know, the, the things that, you know, I mean, mercifully, let them take out the entrails and things. But, but what did it mean? What was God trying to go get at? And we know that everything in the Old Testament or things that happen to them physical, but they are spiritual realities for us in the New Testament, right? And so it does have some application to us. And so we ask ourselves, God, what were you talking about when you said they have to eat all of this? Thing? So in John chapter 6, verse 26, um, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, because you ate. This is when Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? He says, you seek me not because uh, you saw signs, because you ate, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal." Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may do the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. 
So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that you so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now, this is just ridiculous because Jesus has already done. He fed 5000 people out of five loaves and, and fishes. He's he's healed people. He's, he's cast out demons. And they're like, what sign are you going to show us that we're supposed to believe in you? He says, um. And in verse 31, Jesus says, to, or they say to Jesus, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. So Jesus is trying to show them. He's trying to open their eyes. He's trying to tell them, I'm that bread. If you come to me, you will find this life that you're seeking. And that's what we're talking about. All this thing, we're not talking about what you do, what you don't do, what, what your profession is, what your not profession is, what, you know, how do I share Jesus? How do I do this? Feed on him. Just come to him, come to his presence, just like you were talking about how like Jesus we talked about like all these all these multitudes of people are pressing in on Jesus. A lot of times he would go away from the multitudes and he would go just to be alone with his father. And that's the complete opposite of what we do in the church. Oh, hey, I'm getting some followers. I'm getting people that like what I'm doing and stuff. And they're, they're thinking that I'm all this hot stuff now. I just need to keep doing what I'm doing. Instead of that, Jesus goes away from him to spend time because he had to get energized by his father. And in the same way, what we're doing when we're touching the world, when we're showing Jesus to the world, it's not that we're, you know, it's my mission to go out and preach to 15 people today. Or it's, you know, it's just like the woman at the well. You know, all the disciples, they're going into town to buy food. They're dun -da 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 -da, walking with Jesus. You know, we're going to or Samaria and, and, and things like that. They completely didn't understand what he's doing. And Jesus just sits there at the well and he just waits for this woman. And what he says to that woman changes her life and it changes the lives of everyone around her because she goes and she can't keep her mouth shut. She has to go and tell everybody about this man that just told me everything about myself. And so that's the thing. A lot of times we get, we get in these religious mindsets that, well, I've got to preach and I've got to preach and I've got to share Jesus and I've got to witness and I've got to do all these things. When Jesus says, what about this one person right here? And we miss that a lot of times because we're trying to do religious things and because this is what God expects of me rather than just resting in him and coming to him and feeding off of him. He says in verse 31, he says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am. I am the bread of life. He, and again, they're expecting this religious stuff, right? And honestly, we're a lot the same, right? We, 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 we're expecting God just to do these huge <laughs> and stuff. And sometimes he says, just be still and know that I am God. Come away from the noise. Come away from the sounds. Come away from the winds and the rocks and all this noise. And just come into my presence and hear my voice. He says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. In verse 41, it says, Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Joseph the son, or is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? And Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
Um, he says in verse 47, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the, my life, which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, as soon as Jesus said, The, the bread that I, uh, that I give for the life of the world is my flesh, immediately, these are Jews who go to synagogue every week. They've heard about the Exodus. They've heard, they, they celebrate Passover every year. They eat all of the lamb. When Jesus is talking about uh, my flesh is given for the life of the world, they should have immediately have understood what he was saying. But they missed it because their hearts were hard. He says, uh, again, the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And so the Jews are getting furious right now. And I think a lot of times we, we hear teaching on this in church and, and it's like, oh, they, they were thinking that he's saying that he, they need to eat his, literally eat his flesh. They knew that he wasn't talking about that, right? Because now they're, now they're making that connection. He's talking about the Passover lamb. But who is this man? Who is this human being that he's going to take away the sins of the world? That his flesh can bring healing right? He says, as the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So also he who eats me will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So these things he said in the synagogues as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, not just the Jews, not just the uh, you know, the outliers and stuff, but many of his disciples, his followers, the ones who said, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. It says many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, <clears throat> conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who, who do not believe. And so in verse 66, it says, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so, when we take communion, we have to realize this is the correlation. This goes back to the Passover lamb and this goes back to Jesus himself. When he says, you have to take all of me. And that's why, we, that's why we say Christianity is, Jesus told us, if you're going to be my disciple, you will be persecuted. You will be hated on account of my name. And that's why it's, it's hard for us to understand. And that's why a lot of times communion is, is meaningless to us. It's just taking a wafer and drinking some juice. Because we don't realize that what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, I will take whatever you give me. The good as well as the bad. And there are good things. God blesses us and we have his presence and we have his joy in the midst of trials and things like that. But we also have times when it's not good. We have times when there is suffering. I mean, again, we, we've said it so many times. There are people in other countries right now who are dying because of their faith in Jesus. And they're given a choice. 
You follow Jesus or you die. And so when we come to Jesus again, we we die. We die to ourselves, to our desires, and we're like, Lord, whatever you want to do with me. If you want to send me to Zimbabwe or someplace in North Africa where, where Christians are killed literally every day. Lord, if that's what you want. And again, the problem is, is so many of the churches that we go to is God wants to give you your best life. And he just wants to bless you and make you happy and healthy and wealthy and give you cars and houses and all this stuff. And it's not biblical. It's not Jesus. Because if we're going to follow him, it is the way of discipline. It is the way of laying down our lives. It is the way of the cross. And it's, it's so easy for us to talk about the cross. But it's hard for us to die. Right? And so communion, when Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood given for you, shed for you. I'm laying, he's, talk, he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, I am laying. And they, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And he's like, look, I'm telling you, I'm fixing to die. They're fixing to nail me to a cross and all you can be concerned about is who's going who's gonna to be in charge when I'm gone. That's sad. It is. You know? And that's part, the, the, the thing is, it talks about when Jesus w went out from there, he was grieved. And, you, and, I, and I, I think that he was not only, you know, part of it is he's knowing that he's going to the cross and that's a, that's a heavy, heavy thing to bear. But, you know, he's also grieved. I've been with these guys for three years and they still haven't learned. Yeah, it's amazing he gave them an out too. He's like, are you going to leave too? Yeah. Like he didn't try to... He didn't try to hold them, like, keep them clear, yeah. you know? Like, he just, he gave them an opportunity, you know, yeah. like, the, the door's there if you want to, if you choose to. Like, he didn't, that, that's yeah. just amazing to me. <laughs> and that's, and that's the beauty of free will, you mm -hmm. know? And that's the thing that's, that's awesome about Jesus is Jesus never lies to us. He, he, he's not like, you know, if you follow me, you're going to be blessed. Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. You're never going to have problems. He says you're going to have problems. Mm -hmm. And you will have trials. You will have tribulations. And um, just looking at the way our country's going, <laughs> you know, who knows how it's going to get. But again, we need to settle it now. Are we going to... Are we going to follow him no matter what, no matter how hard it gets. And not only that, but to do it joyfully, right? Because we all, like, we get in these situations where we're following God and we're like, Lord, I'm doing this for you. And, you know, and it's, and it's like, yeah. Instead of, Lord, you know, learning to worship him in every circumstance and in every trial. And, I mean, Paul is to be our example. So when we take communion, I like that Ruth made this unleavened bread because um, in some ways, even when they took the Passover, they would take bitter herbs with it mm -hmm. because it was to remember the tears and the things that they came from and the things that the Lord led them out of. Because again, so many times, we all, every single one of us have been sustained by God, have been led out of things by God, have been strengthened by God, have been rescued by God in many situations. But then we come to a new trial and we're like, God, where are you? Yes. Why aren't you there for me? And God's like, I've been for you there through all these things. And that's what's the problem with the people of Israel. They never learned. They kept going in circles and God brought them out of Egypt because he wanted to bring them into Israel. But that generation was never able to enter because they would not learn the lesson. God is for me. He's not against me. He sent manna down. And that manna was, again, the representation of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I just want to take this and I want to eat it. 
and I will want to remember him. And Jesus, and Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, when you do this, examine yourself. And part of that is, is looking at ourselves and saying, Lord, am I, you know, we think of it like, oh, I've got this sin that I'm dealing with. I need to deal with that. And it does include that, but also it includes examining ourselves and say, Lord, am I willing to eat all of you? Mm -hmm the good and the bad? Am I willing to partake of whatever you bring me through? And God has been merciful to us, right? Because honestly, because a lot of us, we can't handle it. We're stumbling over anthills in Eden and we're talking about going through tribulation. Right? I'm, I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody. But when we take communion, we, we, we ask ourselves, God, am I willing to go through whatever you want to take me through? And if I'm not, God, make me willing. Mm -hmm. So let's take the bread and let's ask, Lord Jesus, make us the people that you envisioned for us to be when you saved us, Lord. Yes. You brought us out to bring us in. So I pray, Lord, that you would mature us, that you would bring us through the process, that we would stop kicking, we would stop crying, we'd stop whining, we'd stop fighting against you. But, Lord, we would start rejoicing in all of our trials, in all of our situations, Lord God. So, Lord God, we take this bread and we remember your suffering and dying for us. I've always liked the idea of taking, when we take communion, of using wine because Jesus drank wine. And there's something about wine that, like he talked about, that you don't put new wine into old wine skins, otherwise they'll burst, right? So there's a thing about wine, and the wine over and over through the, through the Bible was symbolic of the Holy Spirit because, because of the fact that it is fermented, because of the fact that there is something alive, alive something, oh. something powerful to it, something that's beyond just like grape juice or, or what have you and stuff. And I like, honestly, the, the idea of the common cup because again, Jesus used a common cup. And a lot of people were like, I don't want to do that because there's germs in that. So for those people, we have these individual cups. <laughs> if you want to do that, there's no judgment. We won't judge you or anything like that. But it's the, it is the fact of that I'm sharing germs with this person. It is the fact that what this person has, I could get also. Do you know what I'm saying? Not only in a negative way, but also in a positive way. And that's the, the thing about that is, is, is that communion is, is life sharing, mm -hmm. right? Communion is whatever your burdens are, become my burdens are, my burdens. Whatever my joys are, become your joys. And we are sharing and we are doing life together with each other so it's not just this this ceremonial thing that we do and that's the beauty in my opinion of a common cup is that it's like we are sharing together and we're not just these individuals with our individual little cups doing our individual thing it's like we are brothers and sisters we are united in christ and it's the blood of jesus that unites us all because without the blood of jesus this is all a joke right Without the blood of Jesus, there is no church. There is no to any of this. And so, Lord, we take your blood, the blood that you shed for us, the blood that you died to give us, Lord, to wash us and to cleanse us from our impurities, from our sins, from our filth. But, Lord, it wasn't just to cleanse us. It was to draw us to yourself and to draw us to each other, Lord God. And we thank you.
And so the beauty of it is, is that we're all different. We all have likes, dislikes. We all have things that we hold to doctrinally that are different from what other people hold to. But Jesus died for us. And we have that in common. Amen. 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 Yay.